Uh, thank you, Demac, for opening us up this morning. It, it's, it's not a cover because it's his song, right? But it's, it's uh, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, my name is JR. I'm the teaching pastor here. Welcome to church. And uh, we're talking today about dreams and about the people who try to crush our dreams. So I wanted to share with you a story about one of the first times I really remember my dreams being crushed. I was, a, I was in middle school choir and I had this dream uh, to be sort of like Demac, to be a, a professional musician. Uh, and so I had this, you know, the songbird that lived in my heart that I knew was a majestic song eagle that just needed a chance to spread its wings and soar. And we were rehearsing for our big performance. We were singing the song American Pie by Don McLean, bye, bye, Miss American Pie. And uh, we, cha- we had to change the lyrics because we were middle schoolers, right? So the good old boys were not drinking whiskey and rye. They were drinking Canada Dry, right? So, uh, so my, my middle school choir teacher is no dummy, right? She knows there's going to be parents in the crowd and doesn't want to promote drinking at a young age. So, uh, so we were all going to be there drinking whiskey and rye, or, sorry, excuse me, Canada Dry, uh, saying this will be the day that I die. And in the midst of the rehearsals, she put me in the front row, in the middle. And I knew this was my star moment. And then, then, as as if that wasn't enough, she stood me next to Nikki. Nikki was the girl in middle school, the one that all the boys liked, right? And and me and Nikki, right next to each other. If... if, if you needed any more proof that this was my God-ordained moment to shine, I assure you my middle school self did not. I could not wait for the night of the performance. And finally, it came. There I was on the stage. I was dressed in a cummerbund and a bow tie that were black and gold glitter. Uh, Nikki was in her black dress performing. We were standing there shoulder to shoulder, ready to belt out that song. And I knew, I just knew I could see my, my majestic song eagle was going to burst forth and soar through the crowd and people were going to erupt into thunderous applause and carry us backstage where we could have all the Canada dry we could drink. And Nikki and I were finally going to hold hands awkwardly. And then right before we started, my choir teacher came up and leaned right in between me and Nikki and stage whispered, you tend to be a little pitchy so don't sing so loud. I was crushed. I mean, why did she put me in the front, first of all? And secondly, I I looked over at Nikki and I saw pity. And friends, that was the moment I knew that my majestic song eagle was not soaring this night and there would be no Canada Dry. And I'll never forget that feeling, that moment. I mean, we, I don't know. I'm sure we ended up singing the song. I, I don't actually think I sang. I think I was too embarrassed. But that, was sort of, that was sort of when my dream of being a professional singer died. Thank, you can thank Mrs. Cheney for that, um, all of you. You're welcome. Uh, but I, I, I honestly have never forgotten what it felt like to have this dream, this idea of what could be, to be able to, to, be able to see it so clearly that it almost felt real. And then to have someone just annihilate it, just crush it, and leave no hope that it could possibly be fulfilled. I, I, I will never forget what that felt like. And I know, I, I know that many of you have had that same feeling. You've known that same experience of, of be, knowing that there was something that God was calling you to or something, something that you could see in the future that was so real that you could taste it and then have it pulled away. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about dreams 
We're going to talk about the kind of dreams that we get from God. Dreams that, uh, uh, if I'm being honest, have a lot higher stakes than a junior high aspiring rock star, right? Dreams that challenge our status quo. Dreams that uh, provoke a reaction from the status quo. God-sized dreams. We're going to ask, what does it look like when God calls us, when God gives us a dream, and what kind of resistance can we expect to meet? And most importantly then, how do we make sure that we're on the right side of the dream? Uh, So we're going to begin today by worshiping this God who gives us these impossible big-sized dreams. And I want to invite you to stand with me and sing along with me. Uh, If you're a guest with us, the only thing that we're going to ask of you today, you can participate in in as much or as little of today as you want. Um, The only thing we would ask is that you be open to hear from God, because we believe that God has gathered us all here together today to say something to us. And if we will just be open to that possibility that God is speaking and that we can listen, that we will hear from God. So if you're a guest, that's all that we ask. We're so thankful that you're here. And would you join us all now as we begin worshiping together? Our summer series is, is drawing to a close, which I know for many of you in this room, you don't want to think about, but we got to face reality. Uh, so we have been in the book of Genesis, exploring the patriarchs and matriarchs of our faith, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca, uh, Jacob and his wives and children. And today we're going to get to the story of Joseph. So we've called this story the way, way back because uh, we've been conjuring to mind summer road trips. And uh, if, if you were like me, you had a big station wagon, you always thought of, we've got to sit in the way, way back, right? And you had, you had a totally different view. And so we've been asking in this series, what happens when we get out of our comfort zones? What happens when we leave the places that we're comfortable and set out somewhere else? And we began the whole series with God giving Abraham a dream to go somewhere he didn't know, to follow to a place that he had never been that he'd only heard of, and trust that God was leading him. And we've been following their uh, exploits ever since then. So today we're to the final patriarch, Joseph. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. And if you grab one of the free Bibles out of the back, you can find that on page 24. Uh, As you're turning over there or clicking over there or however you're getting over to Genesis uh, 37, Jacob, uh, we we sort of ended his story last week uh, where he was wrestling with the angel and being transformed. And Uh, In the interim time, he has settled back in the land of his fathers, and uh, he he has 11 sons and at least one daughter, and Joseph is the youngest. Now, if you're thinking, uh, wait a second, Jacob has 12 sons and Benjamin is the youngest. Good for you, gold star in Sunday school. Uh, That's true. Benjamin has not been born yet at this point in the story, so we'll, we'll get there. Don't worry. At this point, though, Jacob has 11 sons And Joseph is the youngest son, which in that culture meant that he was essentially a nobody. Uh, The the oldest son inherited the the lion's share of the father's wealth and status and uh, responsibility with regards to the family and to the family business, so to speak. Uh, And then every son after that got an increasingly smaller share. So, you know, you don't have to be a math major to figure out that by the time you get to 11... There's not much left, right? Uh, and so the, the, the youngest son, particularly when you have that many kids, uh, just doesn't really matter very much, okay? Now, that's interesting because in the stories of the patriarchs, again and again and again, it's been the younger son who has been favored, all right? We, so, so Isaac was favored over Ishmael and Abraham's family, and then Jacob was favored over his slightly technically older brother Esau in Isaac's family. And now we're going to see today that uh, Joseph too is favored, He's not only favored by his father, he's favored by, uh, by God. He has these, and we don't need, we, we're not going to really get into this part of it in the series, and uh, we can talk about it 
outside of the sermon if you want. But Joseph had dream powers. Okay, he was able, he, God would give him dreams and then he could also interpret other people's dreams. And it's a cool power. No, I can't explain it. No, it's, yes, it is super weird. Um, but like, that's not really the point of the story. I mean, we could, there's all kinds of rabbit holes we could go down chasing dream powers, right? But, but for the purpose of our story, what we want to focus on is not so much Joseph's ability to dream as much as it is the response to the dreams, okay? So, uh, so we're going to go ahead and read together, beginning in verse 3 of Genesis chapter 37. I want you to hear the story of Joseph, of Joseph's dreams, and of how his family responds to them. Then we're going to talk about what dreams are and, and why people respond to them the way they do. So here we go. Uh, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Yes, Jacob came from a dysfunctional family. Yes, he went ahead and passed that dysfunction right on down the line, right, by playing explicit favorites. Uh, uh, One day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. This is the amazing Technicolor dream code, right? Um, But his brothers hated Joseph, shockingly, because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Now, one night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around mine and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think that you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. And soon Joseph had another dream, and he he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time, he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? He asked. Will your mother and I bow? Uh, And your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Okay. Now, we think we know why Joseph's brothers are upset with him, right? Uh, Because thanks to Sigmund Freud a couple hundred years ago, we know that dreams are manifestations of our unconscious desires. And so when the brothers heard that Joseph was having these dreams about being in charge, what it meant that his secret desire was to rule over them, and they thought he was a little pipsqueak little brother. How dare he think he was better than them, right? That, I mean, that's, we read it, and that seems like so obvious it's not worth mentioning. The problem is, though, that that understanding of what a dream is is only a couple hundred years old. An ancient person would not have thought, oh, Joseph's dreams about us bowing down to him are a manifestation of his subconscious desires, and we should hate him for that. That is not how they saw dreams, That's how we see dreams. That's not how they saw dreams. They understood that dreams were a message from a God. That dreams had real power to change things in the world. That that in fact, dreams were like a, a sneak peek of what was coming. They were a picture of what could be, right? So when Joseph's brothers hear Joseph's dream, they're not mad at Joseph because he thinks he's better than them. They're angry that Joseph has received a message from the God of their father, Jacob, that he's going to rule over them. That's it. You think you're going to rule over us one day? Dreams are a way that we, uh, they're, they're like a preferred vision of the future. We call people who dream dreams prophets. And again, this gets hazy because a lot of the times when we say prophet, we think of someone in a tent with a crystal ball going, ooh, and making predictions about the future, right? That's what we think a prophet is. In the Bible, that's not what prophecy is, okay? In the Bible, a prophet 
is someone that God gives a vision or a dream of the way things could be. Not the way things are, but the way things could be. And the gift of the prophet to the community of faith is that the prophet gives the rest of us language to be able to describe the world that God is calling into being. Right? The prophet, because you know sometimes when you, when you can't really describe something, it's hard to see it with your mind's eye. You don't really have the language for it. And so prophets give us that language. They say, here's, here's the future that God is calling us to. And they give us language so that we can begin to see the future that God is calling us to. Dreams are, are an invitation for us to step into the reality that God is calling forth. That's what Joseph's dreams were. Joseph said, there's coming a day when I'm going to be ruling and all of you, even mom and dad, are going to be bowing down before me. That's the vision that God is calling into being. Now, of course, people were threatened by that because someone's always threatened by dreams because the dream challenges the status quo. Right? The dream says that uh, the way things are is not, way, is not the way things should be. Here is a vision of the way things should be, so let's all start moving that direction. For the dream to actually have any weight, it has to be a challenge to the status quo. So you can imagine who gets angry at dreamers, right? It's the people who benefit from the status quo. So in Joseph's case, who is benefiting from the status quo? Well, it was his father and his older brothers, the people who in a patriarchal society benefited from being on top. They're the ones who were threatened by Joseph's vision because for Joseph to be in power meant that they were going to have less power, right? If you're the patriarch, you're supposed to just, you're supposed to be the guy until you die. And now Jacob's hearing that he's not going to be, that he's actually going to be bowing down to his son, to his son? That does not happen. Joseph's dreams violated every norm that his culture held sacred. The people who were hearing his dream could not imagine a world where the 11th son would be in charge. And so they resisted the dream. They tried to kill the dream. And that's always going to happen. Anytime we embark on a dream that is a God-sized dream that challenges the status quo, that challenges the way things are, there's going to be resistance from the people in whose interest it is to maintain the status quo. They don't want things to change because the way things are are going pretty well for them right now. And any kind of change away from that means it's going to be a loss for them, they think, at least. So they resist. And there's a couple of different ways that people resist uh, that were present in this story. One of them is really obvious, and I think one of them is actually less obvious, and therefore harder to see. So the first one is what I would call active resistance, right? People who are actively opposing the dream. This is Joseph's brothers. If you finish, which I'm going to give you some homework, right? Finish Genesis 37 sometime this week on your own time. Maybe read it a couple times. You'll see that Joseph comes out to his brothers again. And before he can even say, hey, I had a third dream. They, say, they capture him and they throw him in a pit that they dug. And then they have this long debate about whether or not they should murder him. And one of, one of the ten convinces them, maybe we shouldn't murder our brother. What if we just sold him into slavery and then made it look like he got mauled by a mountain lion while he was out walking around? So they take his amazing Technicolor dream coat and they tear it up and spill some goat's blood on it. And they take it, this is way before DNA testing, right? So they take it back, uh, they take it back to dad and they're like, 
this is definitely Joseph's blood. Look, it's that sweet coat you made him, right? And Jacob is devastated, as you can imagine. And in the meantime, Joseph has been sold into slavery on his way to Egypt, actively resisting the dream, right? The brothers are like, oh, you think you're going to be in charge? Well, now you're going to go from the least son of a pretty powerful nomadic ruler to a slave in Egypt where no one knows your name and no one cares your name. Active resistance, right? That's, that's the obvious one. When, when you dream big dreams and people come at you hard, right, that's, it's pretty easy to spot the active resistance. Think about like in Martin Luther King's day, right? He's probably like the most famous dreamer that we have. Who had, a, who had a famous dream? There was one guy who did a whole speech about it, right? We talk about it every MLK day. There were people actively resisting him, right? People who were coming at him with like hoods and torches and all that kind of stuff, actively resisting the dream. Easy to spot that. The other one I think is a lot less easy to spot. And I want to go back to the last couple of verses that we read together and look at, look at the way Jacob, Joseph's father, reacts to the dream. So this time he told the dream to his father as well as his brothers, but his father scolded him. He said, what kind of dream is that? Will your mother and brothers and I actually come down and bow down to the ground before you? While his brothers were jealous, his father wondered what the dreams meant. So Jacob does not actively resist the dream. But he also doesn't do anything to make the dream a reality. He says he kind of wonders about it. He scolds Joseph. He's like, you know, shh. He shushes him. This is what I would call passive resistance, right? You're not actively opposing the dreamer, but you're also not doing anything to bring the dream to reality. You're shushing, you're saying, why don't we just wait and see how things play out? There's no need to get so worked up about it, right? You're causing a scene, nobody likes a loud mouth, like these kinds of things, right? Where, when the dreamer stands up and announces this vision of God's preferred future, you have people who resist passively. They just kind of like cross their arms and lean back in their seat and they're like, I don't know, maybe, we'll see. That's actually maybe the more dangerous kind of resistance. Because at the end of the day, you're still not contributing to what's going on. And, and it can even feel in your heart like you're maybe on the dreamer's side. Like you like them, they're plucky, right? They're going to go places. But you're still in the way. You're still not aligning yourself with what God is calling us all to do that we're hearing from the mouth of the dreamer. Dreams are always, 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 when they come from the mouths of our prophets, a vision of what God is calling us to next. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves resisting, usually not actively. We're usually not actively resisting. Oftentimes, our resistance is in a passive way where we make all kinds of excuses or we blame our busy schedules or we think, you know, eventually maybe one day or whatever, we have all kinds of justifications for why we just want to sit on the sidelines and hope that the person who's carrying the ball down the field is going to get past all those defenders. But that is still resisting the dream. When we hear a dream from God, we have three options to respond. We can't actively resist it. We can say, no, you know what? I like things the way they are. 
and I don't want things to change because I can't imagine a world where changes away from what I have are better. That's a lack of faith, friends, because if the dream is coming from God, then we believe, as we sang, that God is working all things together for our good. And that whatever the preferred future is, even if it's weird, even if it's scary, even if it's vague, again, like with Abram, right, where God just said, follow me and I'll show you where to stop, that it's going to be better because it's God's vision for us. Our other option is, is passive resistance, where we just sort of like picture ourselves as along for the ride, right? I'm not resisting, but I'm not helping. I'm just going to kind of see how things play out. Both of those are resisting the dream. Both of those ultimately are helping to maintain the status quo that God is calling us away from. If we want to be God's people, if we want to be on God's side, so to speak, then what is required of us as God's people is to say yes to the dream. It's to willingly embrace what God is calling us to. It's to ask, here's the question I want us to ask. What shape does my yes take? What does it look like? Because it's not going to look, I mean, being actively involved in making the dream happen doesn't look the same for everyone. So what, what, is, what does my yes look like? What is the shape of my yes to God's dream? What is it? Now, I'm going to spoil the next couple of weeks for you, uh, but trust me, you'll want to be here for them, right? Uh, the question that we are asking this morning is not, is God's dream going to become a reality? Over the next couple of weeks, you'll see a lot more people try to resist God's dreams and God's plans for Joseph and through Joseph, God's plans for God's people. You'll see a lot more people resist. But God will always accomplish God's purposes. The question is not, when God gives us a dream, will this dream become a reality? Yes, it will. God will will accomplish God's purposes. God is faithful to do what God has promised to do. So that's not the question. The question isn't like, well, if I don't get on board, is that going to sabotage God? No, sorry, we're not that important. The question is, what role will I play in making the dream a reality? When the story is told of this dream becoming the way things are instead of the way things could be, will I have been one of Joseph's brothers? Will I have been Joseph's father? Or will I be a dream maker? Will I be one of the people that is pointed at and said, man, this person said yes. This person leaned in. This person figured out what it looked like for them to be a part of God's dream. Who will we be in the story? That's the question, right? What part will I play in God's dream becoming a reality? What shape will my yes to God's dream take. We've been talking all summer about what's next for Catalyst. And I, I get so excited about it. Not because I have any clear answers. I don't. I, 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 uh, I have no idea what we're going to look like in five years. I know it's going to be different. I know that then it'll probably feel really awesome, but from this vantage point, it'll probably look weird. But what I know is that from the beginning, when this, when this was a house church that was planted with a dream and a hope 13 years ago, this has been a church that's for the people who are far from God, who don't have anywhere else to connect. And I know, 
that that has not changed. And I know that there are more and more and more people in our little community here, in our little corner of the Metroplex, that fit that definition. People who are far from God, people who've never even been in a church building before, people who don't really have any sort of like real interactions with people who love Jesus. Even, yes, even in the buckle of the Bible Belt, that's becoming more and more and more of a reality. So our calling is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I am so excited to be a part of this church of people who love those people, of people who are committed to make a space for those people, to be a part of us, to be a part of our family, to, to know that they are loved by God, to know that they have a God-given calling, to know that God is inviting them to say yes to this dream of bringing about God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. the conversations that I've had with so many of you about what's next, about what that could look like, are just thrilling to me. And I wish, like, I'm a, I'm like a charts and slides and PowerPoint kind of a guy. Like, I would love to just be like, here's our five-year strategy and all that. I, like, that'd be great. We don't have that. I don't care. Because I know that God has given us a dream to be a church for an impossible number of people. And I know that if it's God's dream, the question is not, will there be a church in the northeast corner of the Metroplex that is a space full of people where people who are far from God can find hope. That's God's dream, which means it is happening. So the question is not, will it happen or not? The question is like, what part do we get to play in that? What is the shape that our yeses will take to God's dream? Five years from now, ten years from now, a hundred years from now, what stories will be told about the people in this room because we said yes to God. Because we did the hard work to figure out what shape that yes takes. I don't know. I don't know the answers to that, but I cannot wait to find out. I hope you're excited too. I want to invite you to the communion table today because this, we can't do any of this unless we are centered around Jesus the one who set this table for us, the one who invites us into this meal with him. This meal invites us back to the table that Jesus shared with his followers the night before he was going to be killed. A table that was full both of active resistors, people who betrayed him, people who denied him, and passive resistors, people who just like stood by or ran off because they were afraid. Jesus set the table for all of them invited them to take bread that he broke and pass to them. He said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Take it and eat it. The people to whom he handed a cup of wine when he said, this is my blood. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. It was by Jesus' death and resurrection that those people were brought into God's dream. It's by Jesus' death and resurrection that we people are brought in to God's dream. And so today, as we look to the future, as we imagine what the shape of our yes will take, we come to receive Jesus' body and blood. We come to ask for God's help. We come to ask to see that big dream. 
to recognize the prophets in our midst, to be able to say yes to what God is doing in our world, in our community, in our church, in us. You don't have to be a member of Catalyst to receive communion with us today. If you're willing to say yes to God, if you're willing to say yes to God's dreams, then you're welcome to come forward with us this morning. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of examine before we come to the table. This is, this is a space for you to uh, prayerfully reflect on what God is calling you to. I'm going to ask you to think about the week that brought you here and the week that's ahead of us. What dreams are in your spirit? What dreams you're hearing that may be from God and what it looks like for you to say yes? Then after we've prayed together, uh, after, after we've done the examine, we'll pray together. And then as you're ready, you're welcome to come forward and receive communion. So here's the first question. What dream have I sensed God inviting me to be a part of in the last week? How have I resisted that dream, either actively or passively? Now think about the week that's ahead of you. Uh, How might I be tempted to resist either actively or passively in the next week? How can I join in the dream God is calling me to be part of this week? What, what shape does my yes take?
Let's pray together. God, thank you for gathering us in this place. Thank you for the story of your servant Joseph, the dreamer, the prophet, and the story of all those who resisted him. Uh, resisted him because of what it would cost them to say yes. As we approach your table this morning, we approach asking for vision to be able to see the dream that you have for the Northeast Metroplex, our little corner over here that we call Catalyst. As we receive these wafers and juice, we ask that they would become a spiritual food that, that, that through your grace, we would be able to see this community the way you see this community. These people as your people who do not know that they are your people. Continue to stir our imaginations. Help us listen to the voices of the prophets among us that we might say yes to the things that you are calling us to do next. That we might be the church that you are calling us to be. The church where anyone who is far from God might know that you are their God. That they are your child, beloved and welcomed back into your arms. We approach your table this morning as your church, by your grace, in the name of your son, Jesus. Uh, now as you're going, uh, we are, again, we're coming to the end of this summer series where we've been asking what is next for the church. And I, I just want to encourage you uh, in these last several weeks where we're going to be talking about God's dream and how God brings about the dream into reality, to be in prayer and conversation with each other about what your part in this is, what you see is next for the church. Uh, prophets are not only pastors, okay? Uh, God gives a gift of prophecy everywhere in the congregation. So don't think just because you're newer to the congregation or because you don't have some kind of role on the platform or in the booth or something like that, that that means your voice doesn't count. Uh, we, we believe that God speaks to all of us. And so uh, if, if you've caught a God-sized dream about what's next for Catalyst, we want to know about it. We want to hear what God is telling you. Uh, because, again, as we learned this morning, we want to listen to our prophets. We want to listen to our dreamers. We want to know what's next. And uh, so as you go today, I just, just want to send you out with that. Go uh, dreaming God-sized dreams and go asking what the shape of your yes to what is next will take and know that God has amazing things prepared uh, for our world, for our community that God wants to do through us when we are faithful to say yes to God's call. Go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week.